0: Hello, my name is Victoria Phillips, and I am here with Ian Hembro, and we are here today to discuss a new book, Ralph Edwards' Rare Events, the inside story of a worldwide quest for safer medicine, which came out in January 2023 with Springer Press. So Ian, welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself first.
2: I'm a visiting scholar at uh, Wolfson College at the Oxford Centre for Life Writing, Oxford University. So I've come to writing fairly late in life, really. I spent most of my working life working in uh, the housing industry in the UK.
0: Wonderful. Um, so tell us, um, tell us about Rafe. Who and what is this book about?
2: Yeah. Um, so I think I would go as far as to say I think Rafe is 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 a, a great living scientist. He's 80 this later this year. Um, and he originally trained as a physician, as a medical doctor, and the book is about his whole life, but in particular his journey into moving from general medicine into becoming a really world-leading figure in the safety of medicines and the science that's grown up around that. So, the technical term for the science of making medicines as safe as they can be is called pharmacovigilance. So pharma, as in related to um, medicines, co-something you do collaboratively, and vigilance, being on the alert for for dangers and risks and sounding the alarm if something happens. So pharmacovigilance, but medicine safety is probably an easier easier phrase. Um, And in particular, he, for nearly 20 years, was the director uh, of a centre in Uppsala in Sweden, which is the World Health Organization's hub for medicine safety. So, as we'll probably talk about later on, um, and whenever anyone, pretty much anywhere in the world, reports a problem or a side effect or an adverse reaction or something to any kind of medical treatment through the national or international system, which Rafe did an enormous amount to set up, that report or the data from it eventually ends up at this centre in Sweden, and and he led it from a very very small team i think there were four people there when he joined into becoming this really sort of world world leading uh, global hub for trying to make medicines as safe as they can be
0: uh interesting um it sounds like a great topic right now um with what's going on in the united states um with the food and drug administration so yeah
2: um yeah it'd be very interesting for readers and of course, the you know the global experience of the coronavirus and COVID has sort of really put this issue right at the top of people's interests and, and concerns and awareness in, in a way that it never was before. So the very rapid development of vaccines to uh, try and protect populations against COVID has necessarily raised a huge amount of questions and issues. And as I said, just greater attention around just how safe are our medicines and depending on how how they've been tested uh, and under what conditions. So yeah
0: is it or what, what it has what has it been like um, to write about someone who's alive um what uh, is is this an authorized biography did you use oral histories um did you allow him to read it did he have objections
2: um the answer to most of those is yes except for the last one so no i mean i work very very closely with with Rafe on this i mean the original plan was that the book would be published actually by the center i mentioned the Uppsala monitoring center for various reasons uh in the end it was decided to publish it sort of privately or directly rather via, via springer who are the biggest uh, medical publishers in the world Um, But no, it was very much a collaborative effort with Rafe in particular. So I spent many, many hours. He lives in Sweden. So even though he's English, he lived in Sweden for many years. Um, So I spent many hours with him recording conversations, um, a fair amount of background research and reading and talking to other people. Because I mean, I think one of the great themes of this book is the collaborative effort that goes on to create something that is truly global in its reach. So people all over the world have contributed and there's various um, sort of first-hand accounts from different people within the book. Um, But So yes, absolutely authorised, very much a a joint effort between particularly Rafe, but then as we'll probably also talk about in a minute, I mean, one of the slightly unusual things is that after he stepped down as director of the centre in Uppsala, he was actually replaced by his wife a lady called Marie or Lindquist Swedish pharmacologist so that's pretty unusual for that to happen in in, in organizations um, but for a whole host of reasons she was the right person to um, uh, replace him and she'd been one of the founding members of of the center so there's a bit of a love story in there as well I think in terms of their of their relationship and a chap also called Bruce Hugman another Englishman who worked for in this area for many years and he's very much the communications expert because although we're in the realms of medical science here communications is a massive part of this and once again i think the covid experience is, a, is an example of that is that it's all very well having the science but unless people know about it or we'll know what to do with that information so the communications task of medicine safety is an enormous priority so yeah as well as rafe there's at least two other sort of key key uh, characters that crop up a lot in the book and as i said a whole supporting cast of people all over the world
0: well, were you able to do oral histories with all of them?
2: Or not, not all directly. I mean, I spoke to a lot of people. Um, I wasn't able to uh, sit down with everyone, it, it, so quite a lot of it was done done remotely. Um, but yes, I collated uh, either written or, or over the phone or, or online conversations with uh, lots and lots of different people from different countries, yeah.
0: Was there ever a moment when you thought, oh, I wish this person, here so i could write x uh
2: that's a very interesting question um i think the honest answer is no um i mean inevitably some people strike a slightly different chord perhaps or to take you by surprise with some of the things that they say i mean i think one of the things that's both interesting and impressive about rafe is that he is an incredibly um, forceful personality, and and that's that's how he's been able to you know pretty much from scratch create create this this system of global drug monitoring that exists today. I mean, he really is someone who makes things happen. Unsurprisingly, you know, when you have a personality like that, occasionally he can rub people up the wrong way as well, or you know, people perhaps you know don't always react react to that as well. So he's made many many friends over the world, but a few people have you know found him difficult, or you know perhaps too. Uh, directive, uh, in, in his approach. So I guess sometimes, but people were very honest and actually, you know, he was, he wanted them to be honest and he, he would be the first to admit to, you know, his faults uh, as we all have. So I think there were occasions when people had some critical things to say about him, but that's, that's part of the story. And they, those are in the book as well. And Rafe is very happy for them to be.
0: Oh, your reader does not need to be schooled in medical technology and the like. Is that correct?
2: absolutely so and because I because I certainly wasn't I mean and and my the challenge I found here was to because I mean some of this stuff as we may come on to in a minute is quite complicated data science so I mean, artificial intelligence uh, neural networks and pretty you know high powered stuff uh, which I had very little knowledge of indeed I think I think my task as the author was to try and understand it enough or to the level that I could then explain it in plain terms to 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 an, to an everyday reader and we deliberately, from the start, tried to write a book that what wouldn't just be about the the nitty gritty of the science. That it was a human story, and yes, yeah, something I think that people would find some resonance with, even if it, even if they're not involved in in it. Because I mean, there's what eight eight billion people almost on this planet. Virtually all of us will will take medicines at some point during our lives. I mean, obviously we take those things in the hope that they'll help us and heal us, but, and this is what Rafe and Marie in particular have devoted their lives to, I mean, we also need to be aware that those same substances can and do cause harm and can and do kill. I mean, you're from the United States, Victoria, so the, uh, amongst adult deaths, um, deaths related to medicines is the fifth highest cause of adult deaths in the USA. And across the world, I mean, about two and a half million people die every year from uh, side effects or adverse reactions of some sort to medicines or medical treatments of one form or another. And we're not just talking about sort of traditional healthcare medicines here. I mean, their work at the center also spans herbal remedies, natural remedies, alternative medicines, so um, of which, of course, there are a vast, vast number.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I I recently out and AIDS that has almost grown.
2: I mean the numbers of this are quite staggering really I mean in the UK the national health service in the UK in 2022 issued 1.14 billion prescriptions so given that the UK has only got a population of about uh, 65 million that, that works out about 17 prescriptions every single person <laughs> in the year and obviously it's heavily skewed to older people and people with ongoing health conditions so if you've got 1.14 billion prescriptions um i mean even a tenth of one percent of of some kind of problem that would still be well over a million people um uh, and even a thousandth of one percent i mean that's still you know eleven and a half thousand people who are adversely affected in some way so the numbers when you multiply that up by the countries in the world which have much bigger populations india china you know south america i mean the numbers are pretty mind-boggling in terms of just how much data they are working with to spot patterns. And I'm sure many people listening to this will will remember the problems that arose in the 1950s and 60s with the drug thalidomide and the birth defects that that caused because mothers would take the drug um, to try as a cure or to uh, diminish the effects of uh, morning sickness. And unfortunately, because it wasn't known that that was a risk, that started to cause these drug, uh, sorry, birth defects. But because they were spread all across the world, and there were about 10,000 children affected by that across the world, it took a long time for, it, for people to work out what was causing this, this, these problems. And it was only a, an Australian doctor, actually, who finally pinpointed the, uh, the cause of it. And it was that that led to this global system being created, is that to try and avoid that happening again, where a, a drug used in good faith, uh, it took a long time to pick up that it was having these really catastrophic um, health impacts on unborn children.
0: How much this
2: yeah. is, is... Well, yeah, we 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 umdenied really about whether this is a biography. I mean, it certainly does tell the whole of Rafe's life so far. I mean, um, as I said, he's eighty eighty this year and still very much uh, fit and active. Um, but also, it it tells the the life story really of the the area of science that he worked in and Maria worked in and their pivotal role in 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 driving it forward as i said this was a really niche area of science you know even if you just go back to the 1950s and 60s with the issues i mentioned with solidamide and it's really grown over that last sort of 60 70 years or so Uh, and they and rafe has been an absolutely world-leading figure in making that happen in particular in turning it into a global effort i mean originally it tended just to be developed nations that were working on this but his achievement in creating systems that, that 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 can detect problems in just about every country on earth i mean there's only about a couple of dozen countries that are, that are not now members of the world health organization's program for drug monitoring so his and other people's um success in driving this you know throughout the world is, is a fantastic story actually and a real testament to his energy and the abilities of other people So he studied at uh, University of Birmingham Medical School, uh, had various hospital jobs in the UK. And then he rather bravely went off to work in what was then Rhodesia, uh, pretty much at the height of the the Bush War there and the independence. And he was there when Rhodesia uh, became independent and was obviously renamed Zimbabwe. And from there, ne- never a man to uh, stand still in life, he went right off the other side of the world to work in New Zealand for a number of years, where they, to this day, have a very, very well-developed and very integrated approach to any kind of poisons, including medicines. Uh, and then from New Zealand to Sweden, uh, where he met Marie, and as I said, eventually they married. Um, and then between them, led the organization for 30 years.
0: So tell me about her.
2: Marie, yeah. so. Uh, I mean this in the nicest possible way. Very Swedish, so tall, elegant, <laughs> um, you know, sharp, sharp as sharp as attack uh, intellectually. Very very focused person. I mean, very different person to Rafe because I said earlier on that Rafe is a sort of very driven person, and, and you meet Marie, and she's much sort of quieter and calmer, and yet still absolutely as determined. So between them, they make a very powerful couple actually. Uh, and still are, even though they're both retired from their professional jobs at the center, they're still very, very active in different aspects, editing journals, speaking at conferences. So they remain you know, big, big figures in this area. And as I said, they are a terrific foil for each other. Um, so as I said, Marie trained as a pharmacologist uh, and I think slightly reluctantly actually became a, an organizational leader. I don't think it was something she really thought w- was her skill set, but she turned into a very, very effective leader in her own right in a completely different way to Rafe. I mean, whereas Rafe is someone who will tackle things head on and just keep cracking away at them, uh, Marie's a sort of rather sort of more cool operator who will sort of go around the sides of problems and influence in a, in a quieter way and yet still absolutely get things done. So as I said, they're, they're a formidable duo between them.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
0: So out of all of those documents, what part of stands out most for you? What's the, the key
2: normal? yeah. Good question. I mean, I, th- I think some of the things we've already talked about, I mean, the, 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 this is a, a genuinely global achievement that he and other people are involved in, and those are rare. There aren't many, and now particularly even less so than before. I mean, if you go back to things like, I don't know, the space race and so on, there is elements of, glo- of global well, either competition or cooperation, but things that have a genuinely global reach are pretty rare, and this is definitely one of them. There, there's, a, I think, a gripping tale in one of the chapters where Rafe had become aware that a anti-malaria drug, drug, the the short version of which was called LAPDAP, was being marketed in in various countries in Africa. And he started sort of querying how, and it was particularly used for children against malaria, he started querying how the drug company had got informed consent for the trials of this drug. And the more he dug into this, the, the more alarmed he became that actually there was not proper provisions in place for informed consent and that the numbers of people taking the drug just could not match up with you know proper sort of protocols. So he, he and a Danish um, investigative journalist uh, took themselves off to Kenya to just try and personally to track this down. So it almost turns into this sort of espionage type story and it's uncanny. I don't know if you've ever read or seen the film of a book by John le Carre called The Constant Gardener. It is almost exactly that story of, you know, pretty, uh, should we say, uh, questionable practices going on in developing countries by pharmaceutical companies and then the kind of risks and problems that that, that occurs. So him and um, Max, the Danish journalist, spent time in Kenya really just trying to track down examples of what was going on so, yeah, it's, it does read like a spy, spy thriller almost. So for me, that is in terms of just pure storytelling, a standout thing. And it says a lot about Rafe, I think, that he's not someone just to sit in his office and write papers about this stuff. He got on a plane and took himself off to Kenya for <laughs> to try and track this down. And so a, it speaks a lot, I think, of his kind of energy and commitment.
0: You know, if you had three takeaways um, that you would
2: yeah. want all your readers to come away with, what would they be? It was interesting, actually, Victoria. Uh, uh, quite recently, I was just doing a short, presentation about this book at a local um writers group and there were there were two kind of reactions really i mean people were interested to know that this this monitoring system exists and obviously i think particularly in the in the wake of their experiences through covid people were sort of saying you know why why don't we know this stuff why don't we know that this system exists or what to do so i think the first takeaway would be you know if 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 you are about to take or have been taking any kind of medicine or any medical treatment or any supplements it's important to know what what it is you're taking. I mean, not that all of us would understand the chemical makeup of substances, but at least to be clear about what it is you're actually putting inside yourself um, and why why that happens. And as you said earlier on, what the correct dose and regularity and indeed course of treatment is as well. Because I mean, I think people, possibly myself included, are a bit blase about that. You know, what's the difference between one paracetamol and two? Well, quite a lot. Um, So observing those things and of course, there is pretty much limitless potential for any anything we consume, whether it's food or um, medicine, to interact with other things in our bodies. So there can be things in our diet, in our physiological makeup, in our environment um, that can interact in some way. So and once again, the COVID is a great example of that. Billions of people have taken those vaccines. Only a certain number of them have been affected by it. And it's that sort of disposition that people have is changing all the time so i think just to be aware really of for, for a start there is no medicine that is 100 safe or effective um and that there is always the potential for either the medicine itself or it interacting in some way to co- to cause you harm and really most important is if that happens how important it is to report it and you can either do that direct i mean most countries have a direct online reporting system now so in the uk it's called the yellow card systems as a yellow card app you can have on your phone to report it Uh, or you can report via your physician so if it's your (laughs) excuse me consultant or general practitioner who's who has prescribed something you can report it via them i mean the rough estimate we can't be sure of course the rough estimate is that probably only about five percent of adverse reactions get reported Uh, so if you go back to the numbers i talked about earlier on about two and a half million people that's only the known, the known ones so um, the, the real uh, incidence of medicine related harm is probably much much greater um, so it is really important and I think over time then that, that should be the great aim of humanity actually is if we are going to continue using medicines in the way we do that we need to take on board the responsibility to say when something goes wrong with them and I think the the final thing i've touched on this already is 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 a a hopeful message actually because i do think this is a great example of what can be achieved when nations really do work together uh because so i mean if you take for example the comparison with how international cooperation is going on climate change at the moment i mean that's a pretty patchy and, and gradual of um process whereas by comparison the speed at which this um, system global system was put in place to try and prevent things like the thalidomide um, problems happening again was remarkably quick it happened you know within a, a decade or so from a standing start so I think it is a great great example of what really can be achieved when you have that kind of drive and leadership and common ground that this is something we all need we all need to work together on. If I can be a permitted another takeaway I think that is another take or learning point for me in writing this book is just how incredibly finally judge some of these decisions are because as you say no announcement around the safety of a drug is consequence free so the moment you say there is a problem with this drug then inevitably not only does that affect people's use of it but it also then starts to affect the drug companies you know operating systems which means that they they that may be better or able or less able to, to develop new drugs so it's so it's a really fine judgments involved in in it and no guarantee that you'll get them right. Rafe Rafe and Marie are now officially retired but as I said they absolutely remain very much involved in these um in these areas I mean and, and a, a project which they put a lot of time into uh, is run from Oslo is called Cause Health and it's all about trying to understand the causality behind adverse reactions is that some people will be more disposed to being affected by medical treatments than others and it's about understanding what those variables are right down to the individual and indeed you know how that individual will change over time so somebody's disposition towards medical problems when they're 15 will be different to when they're 50. Um, and that actually takes you more and in, more into philosophy than than uh, the medical science so it's just a, there's some areas of this which are very very Advanced thinking, and as I said, also particularly around uh, data science as well. So, in many ways, the work that Rafe and his colleagues in Sweden did were absolutely in in the front of big data and artificial intelligence, and clearly that has the potential now to um, to revolutionise healthcare in terms of how of how predictive systems are used.
0: Where do you think the science of medicine safety is going now, and where do you think it will be going?
2: Um, some, some of the things i mean particularly artificial intelligence we've already mentioned i mean i think some of the really exciting stuff and i'm certainly no expert to talk about it but i'm aware of it is is in materials particularly nanotechnology scale materials so i mean once again some people may may remember in the 1960s there was a film made i think it was called the fantastic voyage where a team of scientists were shrunk to the size of a blood cell in a little submarine and sent off around someone's someone's body i mean that is already effectively happening not not little submarines but i mean you know nanotechnology is being used to send uh interventions into people's bodies now and obviously as new materials are developed to take the place of some of the organic materials that have previously been used in in medicines then i think that does have some really interesting potential once again though there there will be risks attached to that so if you are going to start uh putting nano atom sized stuff into people's bodies there there will be an effect of some sort so I think that could be the sort of next whole sort of realm really for pharmacovigilance is tracking and understanding the impact of that over time as well because we just don't know at the moment we know it's possible to do it but there's not enough data at the moment to see what the long term effects of that might be
0: Good um, So what are some of the lessons um, for science for industry okay. uh, and society
2: Yeah I mean, I think it comes back to this point about making change again, really. I mean, Rafe is very uh, honest and uh, clear about just how incredibly frustrating at a time he has found bureaucracy in in all its forms. So right from his early days working in hospitals where, you know, you get this kind of hierarchical tier of decision making um, up to and including when he's working as part of and with the World Health Organization bureaucracies for all the things that they achieve do carry with them a fair degree of inertia so i think there's a there's a there's a lesson in this book for how to deal with that uh ways in which some ways in which to deal with it. i'm not sure there's a perfect answer but it, it, it that bureaucracy can be um i wouldn't say overcome but it can be turned to advantage and there are techniques that you that work better than ever and as i said the comparison between the leadership and influencing styles of Rafe and Marie are a great case study in that is that Marie was absolutely able to achieve some things that Rafe wasn't through her different style. So I think there's there's a real theme that runs right through the book about how do you make change and particularly where there are either vested interests stacked up against you or people who are at least or at best, you know, uncooperative or perhaps unconvinced that they want to make the change. So I think that's the theme that runs through the book.
0: That's That's great. Um, so tell me, um, about, uh, who you rely on, um, as you're writing. Um, you recently showed me a publicity picture with a, with a group of you. Um, what's your process? um, do you, do you workshop your work? Do you not workshop your work? When do you share? When do you write?
2: Um. I, I, I suppose my practice has been developing in, in, in quite recently, uh, Victoria. I guess I sent, tended to, in the past to be quite a sort of solo solo writer. I mean, over the last few years, and particularly through being involved with the Oxford Centre for Life Writing at the University of Oxford, I mean, I really have come to value the collaborative aspect of, um, of writing and sharing and giving and receiving open, critical feedback at, at every stage. Um, and it's extraordinary how different sets of eyes can look onto work and just see either see something different in it, or see see opportunities that perhaps you hadn't seen yourself, and even connections you hadn't seen yourself. So I very much value and enjoy both both sides actually, both the giving and receiving of of uh, feedback around around writing.
0: So what are you what what next? What are you working on?
2: Because on, on the very first time I was in Uppsala in Sweden to meet Rafe, uh, literally the first day, we went out for a walk at lunchtime, and as we were walking down the main street in Uppsala, he pointed across to an older building, and he said that's where Professor Celsius used to work. So I said, oh, what, you mean Celsius as in temperature scale? And he said, yes. And so that's what I'm now doing. I'm writing a biography of uh, Professor Anders Celsius, who lived in the 18th century, uh, the man who, who gave us the temperature scale that most of the world uses um and obviously also that scale is what now frames the whole debate around climate change this idea that we're going to try and uh, contain the increase in average temperatures to 1.5 degrees celsius uh compared to pre pre pre-industrial levels so that's been a really nice spin-off and i'm actually going over to sweden again quite quite soon to sort of complete my research on that go and visit some more of the places where celsius worked and then um I mean, once again, I've got no real background in medical matters, but I mean, an area I am interested in is the whole, and once again, current debate around assisted and voluntary dying. Uh, and I, I am hoping to do a piece of work around the sort of working title of it is the words we need to die, because I think, I mean, obviously some countries do have more progressive laws around voluntary and assisted dying. And I think as that becomes more widespread, and I think it is inexorable that it will, in some ways changing the law is the easy bit. I think the kind of social attitudes and the behaviors and the permissions that we bring to how we deal with that personally and within families and as collectives, that is going to be a significant issue. So yeah, I'm interested in doing some work around, yeah, as I said, just how we talk about broker, deal with, uh, communicate around assisted dying. So yeah, that's that's the next project, I think.
0: That's great. That's that. It sounds like a really worthwhile project. Um, do you ever think about going back to housing issues?
2: And- oh, well, I I still do. Still do work in in housing. And and actually, one of the sort of if there is a link between all this at different stages of my life and career. I mean, the kind of housing I've been involved in, sort of social housing, particularly for people on low incomes who, for whatever reason, wouldn't be able to afford to buy or rent at market rates. I mean, the origins of that movement. Uh, were absolutely health health based. So particularly around cholera cholera epidemics, it was to try and provide better living conditions. That that was a public health. Uh, initiative originally so there is a link there which almost goes full circle because um i mean right now once again in the uk particularly there's a lot of concern about how some of the sort of poor quality uh, or more affordable homes in in the country have been allowed the conditions have deteriorated as and also as poverty has increased so these you know, smalls come full circle pe- now with people's health and their relationship to their home being you know back very much in in the in the picture
0: Well, I think that's a wonderful place to end, back full circle, um, from housing to housing. (laughs) And it sounds like you've got some wonderful projects ahead of you. And um, I look forward to interviewing you about um, Celsius.
2: We'll make a date for that, Victoria. That would be lovely. And thank you for your support that you've given uh, through that project as well. So, uh, but no, that's been great to talk to you about it. And you've asked some very uh, penetrating questions there, which do go to the heart of it. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much.